0: Welcome to all of you who are joining us online for our live stream services as well. We're so glad, we're thrilled that you're here joining us in person. My name is Matt and I get to be one of the pastors here and we are continuing in our series this morning called What a Mess. And over the last couple weeks, we've been looking through this series at this common misconception that the Christian life is all about avoiding messes and trying to stay out of trouble. But if we've learned anything from this past year, It's that sometimes the messes that we find ourselves in and the messy people that we meet along the way, well, they present our greatest opportunity to get to know God, to get to experience God and grow in our faith. And we can turn our messes into messages about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's doing in our lives, regardless of how hard it might be. You know, like most of you, I am tired about talking in regards to this whole pandemic, the coronavirus, I'm tired of seeing it in the news. I'm tired of reading it in the paper, looking at it on social media, seeing it infiltrate my favorite TV shows and series. I'm just ready to move past it all and get on to this new normal form of life that we've all been talking about. But I also know how difficult that is to do because this pandemic is unlike anything most of us have ever seen. In fact, in my lifetime, this pandemic, the coronavirus, is the greatest, the single greatest disaster pandemic that I have been able to experience. And I say it because over a million people worldwide, over 460,000 people alone in the United States have died as a result of the coronavirus. And it's difficult to reconcile with that. It's difficult to really understand that. And so I started thinking, man, is this just some kind of fluke in our history? Is this some kind of one-off thing or is there some pattern? How do we understand this? How do we really process the grief that we're dealing with right now? And as I started to search online and looking through history, it seems that almost every couple generations, people go through some severe disaster, whether it be a natural disaster, an epidemic, a pandemic, just every couple generations, the people are inflicted by something great that really affects them. And we even see it in biblical times. And over 2,000 years ago, in Asia Minor, there was this virus, this disease that spread through the land of Heropolis, Laodicea, Colossae, and beyond. And it killed thousands of people. And during that time, the government officials, they sought to understand what really was going on and why this plague was devastating their land. So they got a group of people together and they called them the delegation. And they said, hey, we're going to send you to the temple of Apollo, who was the God that they served during this time. So, we're gonna make you travel up just north of Ephesus to go to the temple of Apollo and ask on our behalf why we're suffering, why we're dying, why we're dealing with these diseases and these viruses that are killing off our people in the land. And so the delegation went and they got to the temple and they started asking these questions, and the response from Apollo was very clear to them. It was this wicked, wayward displeasure of foreign gods and evil spirits running through the world that was causing these deaths. Pretty much, Apollo said, there are dark spirits in the world who are inflicting this pain and these viruses upon you. And the only way that you're ever going to see some kind of healing, that you're ever going to escape it, is to commit a whole ton of various sacrifices to these spirits and to these false gods. Now, 2,000 years later, we know that's not the answer. Well, at least I hope you know that's not the answer to this pandemic. We don't go around committing sacrifices in hopes that it's going to stop this virus from spreading. We know that viruses aren't caused by evil spirits. They're caused by disease, by the frailty of human body. But it does bring up a very interesting question and observation. You know, the Bible more often than not describes Satan as the destroyer of souls, someone who is out to destroy us. And as the destroyer of souls, he can use any means necessary as an instrument of his destruction to inflict the most amount of pain on us. Does that mean that he can use pandemics, epidemics, natural disasters? Yeah, I think it does. And when we really start to understand that and wrestle with that, it leaves us a little bit triggered on the inside. Now, that word triggered is a very triggering word for a lot of people. It's a very controversial word because it elicits a whole ton of different emotions when we hear this word. And that's why we've chosen to name this message this morning, Triggered, because that's what it's all about. You know, triggered in a mental health capacity, it means something that affects your emotional state by causing great distress. It has the ability to affect your ability to be in the present, to be in the here and the now. And it can influence your behavior. It can influence your decisions. And if we look back at this past year and everything that we have gone through, we can see the fingerprints of Satan's triggers in our lives things that are causing great emotional distress as a result of the pandemic. For example, maybe you got furloughed. Maybe your workplace shut down and they made you work from home. Maybe you lost your job and you went home and you found that the more time you spent at home, the more you began to argue with your significant other, the more you argued with your spouse. And there was this rift that started to develop in your relationship. That's a trigger from Satan working in this one little thing to create havoc in your life. Or maybe it's with your children. Maybe because you're all at home and you know what's going on, you don't want your kids hanging out with other kids. It's not to be mean. It's not to be spiteful. It's to protect them. But they don't understand that. And so they begin to resent you and hate you. How dare you? You're no fun. Why won't you let me hang out with my friends? And now you've got a broken relationship with your children. It's a trigger from Satan. Or maybe you've allowed fear to set into your life. A fear that's compromising who you are and what you decide to do. Fear over finances. Man, if I lose my job, how am I going to be able to pay the bills? Fear over health. Am I going to get sick and I'm going to, you know, kind of hermit myself into my room and protect myself instead of going out and doing what God has called me to do? Fear of disease, fear of pandemic, fear of elections, fear of politics. We've allowed this fear to control us and pull us further and further away from God. Maybe it's compromise. Maybe you found yourself compromising more in the midst of this pandemic, whether it be with your parenting, within your marriage, within your relationships, your working environment, whatever it may be, in your finances, you've said, you know what? I know what's right. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm called to do, but I'm gonna compromise here because it's easier. And I'm just gonna write it off as extending grace to people. Or maybe you've had your peace stolen from you as you've started to, engage and indulge in the division of this world. Division over face masks, division over vaccines, divisions over politics, divisions over elections, divisions over laws and regulations, divisions over indoor-outdoor bans, divisions over coming to church. Maybe you've been engaging these things and it's making you realize, man, maybe, just maybe this trigger from Satan is pushing me further and further away from who he's called me to be, to be one in Christ to be united in the body of Christ. You know, this isn't anything new. Paul even wrote to the Corinthians who were dealing with this same thing. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says, I beg of you, I plead with you, I urge you, let there be no division among you, but be united in mind and thought. That's what we're called to do as Christians. But these triggers keep separating us. They keep pushing us away, driving us deeper and deeper into this fear of our lives. And somewhere along the way, we've become so hypersensitive yet desensitized at the same time that we're failing to see this battle that we're fighting. It's not just a physical battle. There's a real spiritual battle, raging war around us as well. And we need to be able to recognize this. We need to be able to open our eyes and understand this so we can push forward and be who God has called us to be. But how do we do that? What does this look like? How do we engage in this spiritual warfare? What is it really all about? Well, Ephesians 6 is the four leading scripture in the Bible that talks about spiritual warfare. Look at this. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see that? He's saying, look, you're not strong enough to win this battle on your own. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power because our battle, it's not against people. It's not against the government. It's not against politicians. It's not against laws. It's not against social media. It's not against Hollywood. Our battle is with a spiritual enemy. And our spiritual enemy has a name and it's Satan. And he is a big, bad, mean bully. And all he wants to do is to kill, to steal, and destroy everything that's good in your life. And he's been planning He's been plotting, he's been scheming for a long time on how to inflict the most amount of pain in your life. Sometimes without you even knowing it, without you even being able to see it. And if we're going to understand this spiritual warfare, that's the first principle we need to understand that what we see with our eyes isn't really all that there is. What we can see right now with our eyes is not all that there is. Yeah, you see a person standing up here. You see a Bible. You see some lights, a backdrop. You see some technology. But there is so much more going on that we don't see with our eyes. So much more that is happening. And it leads us to feeling like we're struggling, like we're feeling triggered because we're in the middle of this battle that's raging around us that we can't even see yet. And you know what? If that's you, if you feel like you're struggling, that you're fighting a war, that you're tired of battling, you need to know that you're not alone. You are not alone. God is with us. God is for us. God is on our side. God is fighting right alongside of us, even when we cannot see it, even when we're struggling through all of these things. makes me think of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Israel goes to war with the king of Aaron. Look at this. It says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. He got up, he went outside, he looked over the land and he went ballistic. He just saw all these massive soldiers and warriors in front of him. And he's like, man, we are overwhelmed. We are outnumbered. There's no way that we're gonna win this war. There's no way we can win this battle. But then the prophet stepped up and offered some words of assurance. Look at this, it says, do not be afraid the prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow. God gave him a glimpse into this spiritual world. He was panicking himself. He was in a state of fear saying, man, we are outnumbered. We are surrounded. There's no way we're ever going to win this war. And God opened his eyes. And immediately he knew that he wasn't alone. That the massive army he saw in front of him was nothing in comparison to God's army behind him, going to war for him. See folks, that's what we need to recognize. We are not alone. And we need to be praying as terrifying as it is that God would open our eyes, so we can see his presence. We can see that he is here fighting this battle with us. We're not by ourselves. And it starts with prayer. And we have to recognize that prayer is powerful. Our prayers are more powerful than we ever possibly could imagine. And I know that there are so many of you out there who think, you know what, I've tried this prayer thing, but it never seems to work for me. I pray and it just seems like it falls on deaf ears that God doesn't answer, that God's not listening, that my prayers don't get answered. And I don't understand why. Well, you know what? You're not alone. Even in the scripture, we see that. In the Old Testament, Daniel, he prayed a prayer to God and he felt like God didn't respond to him. And so this angel comes to Daniel and tells him what's up. Look at this story in Daniel chapter 10. It says, do not be afraid, Daniel. Notice the theme there again, the last one. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. See, Daniel prayed and from day one, God heard him. God listened and he said, I'm going to start working. I'm going to send an angel to you to help you understand, to be with you, but it's going to be in the spiritual world. Even though Daniel couldn't see it, God was still working in the spiritual world. But the messenger goes a little bit further the angel and tells him really what happens. He says, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time that is yet to come. This is so cool. Can you just imagine this? Daniel prays. He says, God, help me understand this. God, give me this vision. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he hears silence. But then this angel appears after 21 days and says, hey, God heard your prayer. And he immediately responded, but I have been in battle. I have been in warfare for 21 days in the spiritual world around you in order to bring this message. See folks, this spiritual war is real. It is powerful, it is mighty, and it is around us every single day of our lives. And we need to be aware of it. We need to recognize it. We need to understand that our battle, it's not with flesh and blood, it's with the darkness, with the principalities of this world. A battle which we cannot see, but we know who's leading the charge. It's this enemy named Satan. And he's that big, bad bully who wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that's good in your life. And so if we're really going to engage in the spiritual warfare, we need to understand our enemy. We need to understand what his tactics are, what he's trying to do. So let's take a look real quick this morning at four things that Satan wants to do in our lives. The first is this. Satan wants to blind you. He wants to blind on believers. He wants to blind their minds. That's what he seeks to do. He wants to keep you distracted. He wants to keep leading you astray. He wants you to not focus on the truth, the word of God. And for some of you right now, maybe you are having the hardest time paying attention to this message. You're sitting here thinking, wow, that's great, you know." but oh, we're talking about Satan. I got other things to think about. Oh man, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> I haven't gotten a gift for my significant other. There's some of you who, when I said it, went, oh, <laughs> right? It's like, oh man, it is Valentine's Day. Man, I haven't gotten anything. How can I sneak away to get something for my significant other? hey, you know what? There's a guest central table outside. Coffee, Jesus, I can get a free tumbler cup for them. Hey, you know, it works. It's right, right? Plug in for uh, the guest central table there. But, uh, you know, it's, your, your mind is start rambling. Your mind is wandering. Even though the truth is being spoken to you this morning, that God is working in your life, Satan is trying to blind your mind. He's trying to lead you astray because he knows when you hear the truth, the truth has the power to change you has the power to make a real big difference that can set you free, but he doesn't want that. So he's gonna do whatever it takes to blind you. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, he wants to blind you. He wants to keep you captive. He wants to keep you distracted. And we've all seen this played out in our lives, even in the midst of this pandemic. You know, you've had a really rough day and you're like, I really need to spend some time with God. So you go and you sit down and you open your Bible and you start to read and it seems like everything just happens all at once. The dog starts barking because it wants to go out. The kids start crying. The buzzer on the dryer goes off saying you've got to fold the laundry. The dishwasher finishes. Your spouse comes home and you start arguing because the chores weren't done. It's just one thing after another, after another, after another that keeps pulling you away from God's word that keeps you distracted, that keeps blinding you because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to do whatever it takes to prevent you from reading the word of God, from engaging in scripture. And why does he do that? Well, that's the second thing that we need to know about Satan is that Satan loves to steal God's word from you. Satan loves to steal God's word from you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to keep robbing you of this. He wants to keep pulling it from you. And I'm willing to gauge it. There are probably a lot of people in this room who at some point in our lives, we've had some kind of revelation or spiritual conviction over something we've learned about God or something in his word that we heard and we understood and we kind of took it inside like, man, maybe there is something to this God. Maybe there is something to this prayer thing. Maybe there is something to being in a group with other believers. And you start to get encouraged and convicted by it. And you're like, man, this is really great. I want to know more about this. And then you drive home and you get in the house and you sit down and it's like, all right, let me start this. And what happens? It's gone. doesn't even exist anymore. And you're like, man, what was that thing that I just heard at church? What was that thing that I heard in my life group? What is that thing I heard in that podcast or I read in that devotional? Man, where did it go? Why is it gone? Well, Jesus tells us where it went in Matthew 13. Look at this. It says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. See, this is what Satan wants to do. He knows that that truth, that phrase, that conviction has the power to grow into something amazing. And so he wants to come and steal it away before it has the chance to take root in your life, before it has the chance to grow into something truly amazing and truly beautiful. That's what his goal is. That's what he's seeking to do. And that's what he's out to get. He wants to blind us so he can steal God's word from us. And why does he do that? How does he do that? Well, that's the third thing that we know about Satan. And it's this, Satan loves to set traps to ensnare us. Satan loves to trap us. He wants to keep you in this lifestyle of sin. Whatever it takes, he wants to keep you stuck in this lifestyle of sin. And I'm gonna explain it this way to hopefully help us understand. In my house, we have two cats, right? Right? Now, these two cats, it seems like whenever it's time to put all over my son to bed, they love to run into his room and dart underneath his crib. It's like they just know that it's bedtime. And now that doesn't sound like a big problem, but the issue is, is that once they're in the room under the crib, they'll start fighting or eventually they'll start meowing, making noise, or they'll come and start banging on the door to be let back out again. And it wakes Oliver up and we have to start this process all over again. And no matter how much Tiffany, my wife, and I, we go in the room, we call them, we beg of them, we pray for them, we crawl underneath the crib and try to grab them and pull them out, all we end up with is just scratches and hissing, and cats are so much fun. It never works. But luckily for us, there's this amazing invention called the cat treat. And the cat treat is a glorious thing, but the problem is one of our cats, the the light, the nicest way that I can put it, is severely inflated and probably shouldn't have cat treats. (laughs) Um, And so it's this dilemma for us, and do we use the cat treats to get the cats out, but then we're having to do it every single night, which is just continually blowing up this cat with uh, different things, as best as I can say, and it's just not a good situation. But luckily for us, cat treats and the bags they're in sound a lot like Ziploc bags. So all we have to do is go in the kitchen, grab a Ziploc bag and shake it, and the cats come running out. And we can close the door and trap them out of the bedroom. And the reason why I tell you this story is because it relates so much to our trapping with Satan. There's an enemy who's setting traps and we're the one that he's trying to trap. And guess what? He's going to dangle something that seems like something that seems significant, something that we want in front of our eyes to lure us out. And then once we get there, it's just emptiness. There's nothing behind it. It's false promises. That's what he wants to do. He wants to keep us caught in this lifestyle of sin by dangling these little tidbits, these little incentives in front of us. And maybe you have experienced this during this pandemic. Maybe you've been saying, man, you know what? I am just the partier. Like I am the life of the party. I know all of you. You guys are just such partiers out there, right? I am just such a big partier. And I really have been trying for years to get out of the party scene, to escape from it. Like thank the Lord that COVID happened because all of the bars, the clubs, all of it shut down. And I was forced to be at home with my family. I mean, I get to be at home with my family, right? I get to be at home with my family. I get to engage and do things. And you know what? I realized that I don't need this club scene, this nightlife. I don't need all of these popular things anymore. But all of a sudden things get lifted. Restaurants, bars, clubs start opening again and then you get that invite to that one party or that one hangout with that group of friends that you've always wanted to be a part of. And it draws you back in. And immediately you find yourself back in the scene again. Or maybe it's with alcohol or substance use, right? Maybe you're like, I'm really gonna focus in on this. I'm gonna stop drinking. I'm gonna stop, you know, using drugs, whatever it may be. I'm gonna work hard at this. And you work so hard. You pray, you get help, you get counseling, you start moving forward. But then all of a sudden some tragedy happens in your life. And the only way that you know how to cope is to go right back into those lifestyles. Maybe it's debt. Maybe you're struggling because you're in debt and you're like, you know what? We're gonna use our stimulus checks. We're gonna budget well right now. We're gonna pay down our debt so we can actually enjoy life and give back to the church. But then that one thing that you have always wanted goes on sale. And instead of thinking, man, what would Dave Ramsey say? You start thinking, you know what? How would this look in my home? And you go and get it and it draws you deeper into debt once again. You see, this is the working of Satan. He wants to set these little traps that are completely oblivious to us, that we don't even see him doing that immediately draws us back into this destructive lifestyle of sin. 2 Timothy puts it this way. It says, one day they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See, Satan wants to blind our minds so he can steal God's word from us and he does it by trapping us. And what does he do once he traps us? Well, that's the fourth thing. It's that Satan's plan is to destroy us. That's it. Satan's plan is to destroy us. He wants to destroy you. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring cat, I mean lion, looking for someone to devour. That's him. He's looking for someone to devour. Satan hates you with more poisonous hate than you could ever possibly imagine. And he wants to devour every single thing that's good in your life. Your marriage, your relationships, your working environment, your health, your kids, your finances, your home, whatever it is that's good in your life, he wants to devour to put a wedge between you and God. Whatever it takes. You see, there is a real spiritual enemy out there who is engaging in a real spiritual war that affects our real physical, personal lives. And we have to understand this. We have to start seeing Satan as this big bully, but not in the way that bullies are always perceived. How are bullies perceived? Well, a bully is someone who intimidates you and makes you cower in fear, in pain, right? And if we keep cowering back, if we keep living in this fear, living in this pain, we're never going to move forward. We're never going to step out to who God called us to be. And we're going to find ourselves continually again and again and again in this destructive lifestyle. It's time for us to stand up to our bully. It's time for us to rise up and to start to fight back. Because you know what happens when you stand up and you start to fight back? You realize that you're not alone. God opens your eyes to see his warriors are with you. And when you go to battle against Satan, guess what happens? Satan becomes the one who cowers and the one who runs because he doesn't even stand a chance to Jesus or God. Not even a chance. So how do we engage in this spiritual warfare? How do we do our part? Well, once again, Ephesians 6 tells us, look at this. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. How do we engage in the spiritual warfare? Scripture tells us. Jesus already laid it out for us. It's by putting on the armor of God. So let's take this real quick, piece by piece, starting from head to toe. Starts with the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? Well, it's recognizing first, we're not saved because we're good. We're not saved because we're righteous. We're not saved because we've done good things in our life. No, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ by what Jesus has already done for us. The battles he has already fought for us. And putting on the helmet of salvation allows us to be in this constant state of remembrance of that. Knowing that Jesus has already won. He has already provided my salvation. He's already provided my freedom. So why do I have to keep living this captive lifestyle of destructive sin? By putting the helmet of salvation on, it protects our minds It keeps us focused. It keeps us reined in to know that God is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who saves us. Not these things in life, not this acquisition of material things. None of that's going to bring us happiness. None of that's going to bring us fulfillment. It's by Jesus alone. And when we start to protect our minds, Satan can't get in. And we do that by praying. Say, God, help me realize what you've done for me. Help me take to heart what you're speaking to my life. Every day we pray. Every day we go before God and say, keep my eyes focused on you. Keep my mind protected. Keep my mind in your presence, Father. Because when we're focusing on Jesus, when we're thinking about Jesus, Satan can't get in. So when your mind's protected, then where do you go? You go to your heart. And that's where the breastplate of righteousness comes in. It protects your heart. Because let's be honest, your heart is a liar. Your heart is deceitful above all else. And it really is out to hurt you. Satan knows that, and so he's going to try to influence your heart, whatever he can do, to lead you astray, to keep you wanting, to keep you in desiring these things that you don't need. And so we need to protect our heart, and we do that with the breastplate of righteousness. And what that means is that we are seeking every single day the Holy Spirit, that we're able to put it on and say, you know what, no, I'm not going to allow this to bother me. I'm going to be true to who God has called me to be. I'm going to seek the Spirit to help influence my decisions and not lead from the heart, but lead from the Spirit that lives in me. Do what the Spirit has called me to do. Be who the Spirit has called me to be. Be who Jesus has called me to be. That's what the breastplate of righteousness does. It takes the focus off ourself and puts it back on Jesus. So, with our minds protected, with our heart protected, the next thing that Satan's gonna do, because he can't get to either one of those, is to rapid fire against you. And he's gonna start hurling all these flaming, fiery darts of negativity and insults at you. And that's why we pick up our shield of faith to protect us. See, Satan's goal, when he can't get to your mind, when he can't get to your heart, is to make you start to doubt yourself. You're not good. You're never gonna be good. You're not gonna mount to anything. You're worthless. Who would ever want you? You're not essential. You mean nothing. Nobody loves you. By picking up your shield of faith that's when you're able to say, not today, Satan. I'm gonna be who God has called me to be. I'm gonna remember who Jesus says that I am. I am loved. I am forgiven. I am unique. I am special. That I am wanted. That I have been set free. That's our faith. Believing in Jesus Christ and the freedom that he gives us protects us from these fiery darts of the enemy. That's why we've got to do that. We've not only got to be in prayer, we've got to not only be living in the Holy Spirit, but constantly be reminding ourselves, saying out loud to ourselves, I am who Jesus says that I am, not who the world says that I am. And letting that be the influencer of our life. So once we've got our helmet on, we've got our breastplate on, we've got our shield up, the next thing to do is to get ready for battle. And whenever you get up in the morning, at least if you're a guy, what's one of the parts of your assemble? Parts of the things that you do to get ready, it's you put a belt on, right? You put a belt on because it holds your whole outfit together. And let me just say, I am so grateful that the armor of God includes a belt because I would hate to go into battle with my pants down. But we have the belt of truth. And what I love about this analogy, the belt of truth is because the belt is the centerpiece that holds everything together. See, Satan is the father of lies. Satan wants to deceive you, but the belt of truth protects you from that. It allows you to remember the truth of who God is. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you focused. It keeps you centered on God. And we do that by reading the Bible, by reading the truth of the word of God and letting that to influence, to permeate our lives and build us up and equip us and lead us in everything that we do, every decision that we make. So once we've got our belt on, we're ready to stop cowering back and it's time to go into war. So we put our shoes on or our sandals this time, right? It's the gospel of peace. We fit our shoes with the gospel of peace. And what that means is it's just remembering every single day, we're not alone. God's in control. God's got this. And as we go into battle, when other people are running frantic around us, looking ballistic, feeling outnumbered, we can remain calm as Christians. And when people look at us and say, how are you so calm in the midst of everything that's going on? People are dying. There's horrible things going on in the world. We can say it's because I have the peace of Jesus Christ. And that's all that I need. Because that's what means the most in my life. That's what is the most in my life. So now we've got this. Jesus isn't going to let us go into war empty-handed. He gives us the ultimate weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit. And that's the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword that exists. Nothing can stand against this sword. And that is the word of God. That is scripture, a free resource that he has given to you and to me to go to war against the enemy. Satan, you're telling me lies. I don't have to live in this destructive lifestyle of sin. I don't have to do these things because this tells me what to do. This is what guides me. This is what leads me. This is what's gonna see me through. This is the most important thing in my life. It's the sword of the Spirit. So, our front side's pretty well covered, but what about the back side? Are we vulnerable on the back? Well, that's how Ephesians closes. And the answer is no. We have the prayer of other believers that covers over us and guards our back. We watch out for one another as Christians, we pray for one another as Christians, we hold each other accountable. We talk with one another. We get invested in life groups, in small groups, in prayer circles, and all these things where we build a community with other believers and we start to work together. And that's why life groups are so important. That's why we get involved in these things because it's this group of accountability, a group that helps you process it, a group that's got your back when you go to war. If you're not plugged into life group, you need to get into one because it's so fundamental that you not be exposed. So what does this mean for us as we close? We've got the armor of God on. Why do we go to fight? What do we do all this from? How should we be fighting? Well, it's a very simple principle and it's this. When we go to war, we don't fight for victory. I know that sounds so contrary to everything that the world tells us, what our history tells us. We always fight for victory, right? But as Christians, we don't fight for victory. You know why? It's because we're already fighting from a place of victory because Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won the battle. And he says, you're a part of that and you're not alone. And I'm going to be with you if you are willing to stand up and stop cowering back, to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, to pick up your shield of faith, to put on your belt of truth, to have your feet fitted with the gospel of peace, to go into battle armed with the sword of the spirit. See, Jesus has already given us every single thing we could possibly need to win this war. Why are we not using it? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of being surrounded? Are we afraid of living in fear? Well, if that's you, let me tell you the truth. When it looks like we are surrounded by an an enemy that outnumbers us, we're surrounded by a greater one who's already won the battle. So we don't need to be overwhelmed. We need to trust in God and pray that our eyes be opened to see he is with us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you don't make us go into this war all by ourselves. Father, that we're unprepared. Father, I'm so grateful that you have given us every single thing that we need. Everything we need to survive, Father, everything that we need to engage in this warfare. Know that we're not alone. God, it's so easy for us to feel overwhelmed in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of everything that's going on in our lives right now. It's so easy for us to lose sight of you. But God, I pray this morning that you direct us to you. That when the world looks like such a mess around us, when our lives look like such a mess, Father, you turn that into something great. Father, that you allow us to pick up this armor of God that you have so freely given to us. And to go to war. Father, to engage in this spiritual warfare, to slay our enemy down. Father, I pray that you just equip us. Father, more than that, I pray that you open our eyes. As terrifying as that may be, as scary as that sounds, Father, I pray that you open our eyes to see the reality of the spiritual world. Father, to see that you're at work, to be reassured that you haven't loved us. Let us see the power of our prayers know that greater are you in us than anything of this world, Father. That you've already given us victory over this battle. When it seems like we're surrounded, Father, we are surrounded not by our enemies, but that we are surrounded by you. We love this.